When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's right, everybody. We're back in, in this episode. Wait, what? And this? What? What's going on here? Can't even start the intro. <clears throat> start again. That's right, everybody. We're back. And this is episode 128. That's weird. We need to... Did I always say it like that? That's weird. Yeah. This is episode 128. I'm weird. I forgot things. And the episode's entitled Webpack versus Snowpack. Uh, I'm Matt. That's Mike. And this week, we'll be taking a look at Web Bundlers. This is eagerly anticipated, actually. Web, bund- web Bundlers... Webpack, Snowpack, and more. And if this sounds interesting to you, and you want to help me write intros, apparently, you and you want to specifically actually show, uh, support the show, you can go check us out on Patreon, leave a, rating, a review or a rating on your podcast app, join us in our Discord server, or share this with your friends. And just a brief reminder that uh, Mike is working on a weekly goals app. If you listen to the Before the Show, available on Patreon for free right now. Um, if you listen to that, we did a big update on the HTML All the Things website. We also did a big update on the... Uh, weekly goals app and we'll also be doing you know brief ones here as well so if you want to go give that a give that a listen please uh, do so uh but this week this is a mic heavy week because like i said eagerly anticipated all about bundlers webpack and all that so mike please sir take it away okay uh let's get right into it so let's talk about what a bundler actually is and this this is kind of anticipated i've been asked to do this episode a few times by a few different people um and i've been kind of delaying it because Initially, I didn't really care about the bundlers because they kind of just kind of they're, they're in the background. They're doing their thing when you're whenever you're building some sort of a, a packaged application with Vue or React or something like that. They do a lot of the heavy lifting for you. You just kind of focus on writing the code. And I like to keep them that way because I have so many other things to worry about that I don't I didn't even want to like <laughs> delve into the bundler. But then I found out that I have to because there's a couple of custom functionalities that I need to do. And I did kind of do a little bit of a deep dive a few months ago uh, into Webpack, having to kind of edit it so that it was uh, using a different source file and um, using different functionality for the dev servers and stuff like that. Regardless, that's not what this is really about. But I did know that sometimes you do need to know what the bundler is and it's important to at least have a good overview. And that's what I want to do in this episode, give you an overview of what a bundler is and then talk about a couple of the bundlers that I've been using lately and their big, their big differences. Uh, so let's get right into it. So a bundler in a, in the like highest level sense is something that will take your uh, modules, plugins, all your, like, you know, all the code that you are writing and bundle it package it, compile it, however you want to say it, into something that the browser can read. So the browser can read files that are .js, .css, .html, and then any like media files, you know, uh, .mp4s or like JPEGs or whatever. The bundler will take anything that you write that's not those files. So if you have a .view file or if you have a .ts file, uh, whatever, and it'll bundle it into something the browser can read. So it compiles it. Uh, That's essentially in the high level form, what a bundler is. There's a lot more to it though than that. Um, they have the ability to use tools with your web code. So like Babel, what Babel is, is it bun- not only does it bundle, but it actually does separate bundles for each version of JavaScript out there. So that if you're you if you're creating a highly complex uh, web application and you want it to run on Internet Explorer or if you want it to run on, on uh, Edge or whatever, and you don't want to worry about all the little, you know, differences in each browser. You can use something like Babel, which works with a Webpack or with some sort of a bundler, and it'll create a version of the site of the site that will work on those platforms and only serve it up to the platforms that can't handle the newer versions. Because there are, there's always going to be a little bit of like performance hit or some or different differences, but it'll essentially allow you to build only one set of code. There's a little bit of stipulation to Babel. I think Babel will be covered in a separate topic on its own, but it'll, like essentially what a bundler allows you to do is use stuff like it uh, to 
kind of modify your code to work on different browsers. Um, also, in in the sense, like like I was saying, it was doing the compiling. It's also able to transpile. So part of the compiling process is taking files that aren't JavaScript, that aren't CSS and HTML. Like if it, if it's a SAS file or a less file, it can bundle that and transpile it into a .css file. It can take a non-JavaScript file like TypeScript. Uh, and bundle it into TypeScript. And it can take any sort of framework file that you have, like a .view file or uh, whatever the Re- React version of the .view is. I can't remember. Uh, it can take that and compile it again into that JavaScript. And a big part of it in, in a regular bundler is that it will compile it into kind of one file per each version, one file for each code. So one JavaScript, one CSS, one HTML file. Uh, so everything that you write, even though you're breaking it down into a mil- million different files, it'll take that and put it all into one file, which is good in a, in a sense because it keeps it simple. It keeps the the, compi- the uh, deployment process really simple. You know, you just take three files essentially and all your assets and you put them on a dev ser- on a server and you should be good to go. But in a, in a different way, there's actually some negatives to it because anytime you're loading a page, unless you've specifically designed it so that it's code splitting, uh, if you haven't designed it that way, it's going to load everything in that one file, right? So you can, if you have a really big application and they're loading the landing page, all of a sudden it's not only loading the landing page, it's all, it's importing all the different functionalities and stuff like that, all from that one JavaScript file that you have all your import statements from. Um, so that could be a problem. And that's something that we're going to get into the next segment with Snowpack of how it's changed recently how you can still use a bundler but have multiple different files and so you can have kind of the best of both worlds in a sense Um, the other thing that a bundler will do is or like something like webpack a bundler will do is a live reload or hot reloading dev server so it actually kind of create a server for you where if you save a file in your IDE, like in VS Code or something, it'll automatically detect that you've changed something and it'll bundle it all back up into into a dev um, a dev version of your bundle and serve it up so that your your uh, browser will re-ro- reload automatically and you'll see the change like in, in a matter of seconds. So you don't have to go in, manually reload your browser. You don't have to go in and retype in the build command. It'll do that for you with a dev server. That's what that's another thing that comes built in with a bundler. Uh, and there's all there's there's a bunch of other stuff like bundling can also do some optimizations. Like it can uh, optimize your application for better browser caching. It can optimize your application for better PWA compatibility. It can optimize your application by minifying all the files, by taking out all the spaces, all the unused data and stuff like that, and putting all your files into like one long, like one line file. It'll make stuff load faster. It, it has a lot of optimizations built in that you can do. Um, you can check what kind of packages you're using. Like there's different Webpack plugins uh, that allow you to see exactly what packages you're using and which packages are actually taking up the most space uh, on your Webpack. And f- by allowing you to do that, you can go in and kind of see, okay, why am I using this package? Can I just t- like you know take out certain things from this package and not use the whole thing? Uh, and you know we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later as well. Um, and also. I think that's it. I think that's that's kind of what the the overview of a bundler is. It just bundles your packages from your whatever framework or language you're using into something that the browser can read. I got a question for you here. I sure. got a question. Okay. So we've talked about several times in the past, and this is me coming from an outsider, so I'm probably going to say something's wrong for the audience there. But, okay, so I don't use these things at the moment. And maybe this is something I'll get into and probably should be getting into at some point. But the question is, okay, how like integral, integral, I don't know. I can't speak today, but like how, how much is this thing a cog in the machine that always works or how, how much are these things something you have to fiddle with to get them to work? Is this a, are these things sort of a complete package or these things, and this is going back to the thing we've discussed in the past, like a cobbled together mess of different packages and other things that people have eventually put together to make Webpack or and Snowpack and God knows whatever. Or is this something that always, always asterisk because nothing always works, but is this something that always works or, and, 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 and another piece of that actually is 
is this something that allows you to work on it? So for example, you're working on your website and the goal is always like, let's finish this website. Let's finish this web app. And so Webpack is a part of this. It's compiling your code. And let's say that something goes wrong. Is there ever a time in which you have to go in and screw around with Webpack? And I'll give an example is, and Mike, you can comment on this as well, is we've used compilers in the past during school, for example, when we were doing our embedded course. And we were at the mercy of the compiler where our code had to be liked by the compiler, or at least in that class, because obviously we were new to it. Maybe we could have went in. But we were at the mercy of that compiler. And so if there was a bug in the compiler, there's just a bug in the compiler. Now, not that we not that we um, found one, but embedded technology is very proprietary. It's very like specific and it's very like obviously like each chip is different. So not to get into the weeds of that, you know, each compiler is made by the company or the manufacturer or the type of whatever it is that you're using. And you are sort of, quote unquote, at the mercy of that, uh, as far as I know. So is this something where it's as reliable as you say, you know, you type in some HTML and you give it to a browser and then the browser shows it and then you're at the mercy of the browser where you have to go in and change your HTML if it doesn't look the way you want? Or are these things more malleable malleable where you actually go in and you're like, hey, this isn't compiling right and you have to screw with Webpack? Like how are these things just cobbled together and you got to mess with them a bunch or like how, how is this experience? That's a good question. And I think I think like at the start of this conversation, I was saying like, I, I really didn't want to get into the bundler. Uh, because in my opinion, it should be kind of the last thing you learn. And be, it, because it's actually really stable, like when you create a project using the create react app or the create view app functionality in the CLI, it does all the bundler setup for you. And it creates the webpack configuration files, it does everything for you to the point where you don't have to touch it pretty much ever. Like there's very little, there's very few reasons where you have to go in and touch the uh, conf- webpack configuration files, right? So it is very stable. It is something that you absolutely shouldn't, like it shouldn't stop you from using a, a, a certain set of, you know, features because you're like afraid that the webpack is going to break. No, it's very stable. Uh, bundlers are becoming even better and easier to use. So it's it's definitely not a barrier. And in fact, again, like I said before, don't don't like when you're learning something like Vue for the first time, if you've already learned JavaScript and you're going into Vue and you see all these pieces that Vue has, and then you see like Webpack as a piece of Vue and you're like, okay, now I have to learn Vue. Now I have to learn like the Vue router, the Vue Redux, and now I have to learn Webpack to be able to use it all. You absolutely do not have to have to consider Webpack as part of something that you learn. Webpack is something that you just use. You just like, you know that you when you write NPM run dev, it's using a Webpack build command and is doing what a bunch of stuff. Don't worry about what it's doing. It's packaging your application and serving it onto your dev server. That's it. Like you don't have to worry about the intricacies. You don't have to worry about fiddling with it. 90% of anything or 99, I would say percent of anything uh, is pre-configured for you. I, I've never had to open up a blank Webpack file and write a Webpack file. Everything that I've ever done has always come with a Webpack file. Any framework, any um, plugins that I need to use came with that already pre-done and I just kind of used it and forgot about it. And that's how I very much encourage everyone else to look at it. If you're really interested in Webpack or if you have very specific functionality, that's great. I, I want to give this episode as a general overview about what it is, but I don't want you to have to go in and think that you have to learn it to know how to use it, if that makes sense. And that was actually going to be my next question is like, I'm, I'm very much a person where like, it kind of looks, maybe I do, but like, it kind of looks like I learn slowly or I try things slowly, but it's because what I like to do generally is I like to look at stuff and then figure out almost exactly how it works. And that's always been why we were in the past and not so much anymore so scared of using WordPress because WordPress has all these moving parts that are moving in the background and we didn't really know where, like what was going on, where they were going when you update, are there going to be conflicts, right? There's always these, all these moving parts that, you know, even as recently as this week, we've discovered, we've had like serious issues that can take hours to fix something so simple because there's so many moving parts. And so with something like Webpack, you know, it's one of those things where you can go to their website and like, I just don't even, it's one of those sites where it's like, I go there, it's like NPM, where NPM to me is like, oh, I'm using this to download stuff. But like, to me, 
at least when I went there years ago, to me, it feels like once you understand it, it's like it's this is this is a command line run uh, app store. That's how I look at NPM kind of. I don't know whether that's like a bad way to look at it, but it's sort of no, like, that's oh, a good way to look at it. That's but like that isn't it. written anywhere. Not that I know of like that isn't written anywhere on their site. And so Webpack to me, and again, with just just by looking like briefly, just glancing, this isn't like like this isn't me making fun of these websites, but the but me to Webpack, like me getting into Webpack, has been days where I'm like, hey, I have a few minutes, not a lot of time, maybe I'll just read up on this thing I don't understand, and like I'll just start reading it, and I'm just like, I don't know what the fuck, like what this is, like I don't know what this is, and then like that's that's where the issues come in, where. Like, like that's that, that that's where the that, that that's where the disconnect happens, where, you know, when you go to a marketing website of something, it like really generally explains what it is. The, these websites generally like NPM Webpack, at least when I looked at them years ago, they were tailored for the dev that knew what they were doing. Now, that makes sense. That's obviously the target audience. But for somebody who's brand new, that's super overwhelming because you're just like, what is this? Like what? What do you mean Node? It's like oh, Node is a blah 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 blah, and it's just like what? What is this thing? And and it's hard to tell. But then when people were like, oh, use um, a prime example is I was using SAS or something. I don't know. It was years and years ago, and like whatever it was, I don't remember if it was SAS, but like something I would needed, and it was like oh, just like get our like you know use our npm, and I had installed npm at this point for something down the road. And I was like, oh, like I can just use this to download stuff. I was brand new to it. And so I like, you know, go. I'm like, oh, this is just like an app store, but just run from the command line. Like, why didn't anyone just say this? And and to me, it's just it just seems like the. It runs at such a high level and there's so many things clearly going on in Webpack, Snowpack, NPM, all this in terms of the actual intricacies that there's no like consumer grade introduction. And I feel as though and from a UX perspective, the consumer grade maybe is frowned upon by some devs. I know some devs are like, oh, Webflow is horrible because it's not like custom. Yeah, but like, I mean, the customer doesn't care. And if, if it makes you get your website out quick and makes you get paid, then you're done. And I find that these websites sort of almost need, or at least again, when I looked at it years ago, need like that consumer level where it like <laughs> there needs to be like a consumer introduction to this thing where saying this is a app store run or like in the command line. Sure. The consumer is not going to understand what command line is, but they're gonna be like app store. Oh, okay. So you download stuff with it and you at least get that general sense. And then you can sort of start playing with it. If that makes sense. So it makes sense, but I think the target audience of these play of these like different uh, tools is isn't to the general consumer. So like the app store out uh, analogy might not make sense to the developer that's that's needs to know what it is, if that makes sense. Because you don't need to know what it is to use it. You don't need to uh, delve into it, delve into the intricacies to be able to, you know, use an npm install command. That's all you really need to do. Like or npm, like just copy whatever whatever the the plugin uh git repo has there that npm install whatever plugin name dash dash save and that's it like you don't need to know what it's doing in a general sense when you're working on a project and nor should you delve too far into it in my opinion because you have so much other stuff to learn unless you're going to be developing a plugin for npm you shouldn't delve into how npm works in the back end or you shouldn't delve into what npm does to serve you the information right because it's going to cloud your stuff like you have too much stuff to already worry about it's too much for you to go in and learn all the intricacies of npm just for the shits and giggles of it you shouldn't do that same with webpack same with snowpack all you need to know is their tools like that that that's essentially it and in my opinion all the other stuff if you just kind of Put yourself in a situation where you need to learn and need to delve deep into every piece of technology that you use. And I know, Matt, you said that that's what you like to do. It's going to bury you. Like you are going to get buried quickly because there's a million things that's, that are happening. And, and quickly as in like you quite literally could spend like like a whole day of reading on like NPM and be like, Jesus, like I'm looking at the NPM. Uh, I think this is the git repo or whatever i think i think that's what this is i just clicked on a random link on 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 google but it says here that um 
4,230 files are within NPM. Like, yeah. there's 4,307 dependents, 395 versions. You know, this is crazy. And that could that could overwhelm you. And I can, I can hear you getting overwhelmed just reading that kind of stuff, but it shouldn't. The point is, is that those are tools. Use them as tools. Like when you're using a hammer, you don't need to know what the what material it's made of. You don't need to know that That's Jack down the line made it. And you don't need to know who invented the patent or whatever. Like you don't need to know that crap. You just need to know that this hammer plugs like hammers in a nail. And yeah, it has add-ons. Great. Like you have you can add a, you know, at the back of a hammer, you can take out a nail and stuff like that. Once you need to once you need to use that, you will go in and learn that functionality of it. That's how you should treat web technologies in the first place. Once you learn the base, like Matt and I always say, learn JavaScript, learn CSS, learn HTML to the best of your ability so that you understand how everything runs in the front end. Uh, if you're going in the back end, again, learn PHP, learn JavaScript, because those are the two things that run in the back end. If you know, if you understand the core concepts, everything else is just a tool and you're just going to pull it from the shelf and you're going to use it. And when you need to know a little bit more about that tool, you're going to delve into it with interest because you're going to be learning exactly what you need to learn about it. If you're going in generally like, oh, what's Webpack? And you don't, you you know, you've never used it or whatever. It's going to be a disaster. Don't do that. Um, That's why I wanted to create this episode. Having said that, Matt, I've explained what a bundler is. I've explained what Webpack is. Was that a good explanation for you? Or do you want me to sum it up in like two lines? Let's get it. Let's get a quotable two lines. I'm interested to hear this, but it, it it was good. Like it was enough, but I'd say let, let's get a quotable two lines. What do you got? Okay. So what a bundler does is it takes any module that you're using to import any plugin that you're using, right? In your, in your code, it takes any code that you're, that is not JavaScript, CSS, or HTML that you're using in your code and it compiles it, it translates it, it bundles it into a package that the web can read, that a browser can read. That's all it does from the very basic. It'll take any module that you're using and your imp- any import statement, it'll read that, put it into one single file, and then ser- and then make a separate file that you can actually take, drag and drop on a- onto an FTP server, put it onto into the public HTML folder for the browser to read. I liked it. Good. And and to translate one thing to web developer terms too, like the hammer example, we should be we should be thinking, and I'm asking this. We I assume we should be kind of thinking of npm bundlers, more specifically Webpack, Snowpack, as for the episode, as the as we do the browser. We don't worry about the browser rendering the colors correctly. We because like because that's the, up to the browser development team. So we should be treating, we should be working on the website. Don't work on the tools include and treat it like the browser. Like we don't work on the browser. Like none of us are like, damn, this isn't rendering properly in the browser. I guess I better, I guess I better go develop the browser better. We either work around it or we learn how to like work with it, but we don't like, I mean, I don't question how edge works really. You know, I'm not like sitting there being like, how does Chromium work now? Mm-hmm. Exactly. So that, yeah, that's a good analogy. That's exactly how you should be thinking of Webpack. It's just another tool. It's just another tool down the stream. It is It is just like the browser in the sense that you do not control how it does things. Um, and, and it is, and in a sense that like, if it does look weird, right, you have to work around it. You can't work with it because it does things a certain way. And sometimes that that is the case. Sometimes you have to go into Webpack and do like a little change here and there, but it's very rare, like extremely rare. And not usually, I would assume, in your training. Like if you're learning, like I, I like once you've mastered the beginning, like it's fine, you know. Um, I guess a prime example would be if you want to restore, if you want to like, look, you know, quickly set up WordPress, you have your stuff that you throw into your public HTML, like you're, and if you're talking about just like an Apache server, you throw it into your public HTML and then you like have a database and you connect the two. But each of those pieces to me is like super simple. Like, oh, just like, you know, import this, export this database, whatever. I can like move stuff around, back it up, take it away, whatever. And like the longest part is actually me making sure I don't accidentally delete the wrong database or quite literally waiting for it to import or something, depending on the size of the database. But like for someone that's new, they have to learn everything from how do you make a database on cPanel through what do you mean by I need a user that accesses the database versus like permissions and what all those mean. 
versus um, PHP my admin, you know, like those are all tools that they have to learn. To me, I just click, click around, click, 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 click. And so if I have a problem with a database, I know exactly where to go and exactly where to look. Whereas for someone that's new, you know, that's totally overwhelming. So it makes sense that if you were to learn to use Webpack so easily and so fluidly, and you have like even your own scripts set up that like run things that are nicer for you and you have some weird problem, it, that problem is now no longer overwhelming because everything's easy to you. So you just got to do this one thing. Yes. It's a very direct thing. Like whenever you, whenever you're going into Webpack and you need to do something, it's a very direct thing that you need to do. Like you need to change a build script. And you, there's a very specific reason why you have to change it. So it's really easy to kind of like Google it and not get overwhelmed by all the different options. Whereas, if, again, if you go into it thinking like, I need to know all the different functionalities, you're done. You can't. Like you just can't. And that's not something you should be doing. So I think it's, it, this is a good conversation because I think a lot of people have that anxiety with Webpack um, or with any bundler really. And it should really, you should put it as the last thing on your list to learn. Something you use for sure, but you do not need to learn it. Yeah, that's a good that that's a good way to put it. You know, even something like Tailwind, like I wrote that Tailwind guide a long time ago, uh, and like still getting views to this day. And it's like how to quickly set up Tailwind CSS or think or something like that. And like there are people, and I was one of them, where the instant I saw something like, "Oh, you need to compile your Tailwind," I was like, "Oh, that's it. Like it's over. Like I'm gonna be here for ten hours screwing around, what have you." And they're talking about you can do with bundlers and God knows whatever else has been a long time since I've been on that documentation. But then I just chose the easiest solution, did it with the Tailwind CLI, and just that's the quickest way to get up and running. And once I did it like twice, I was like, oh, this isn't that bad. Same with SAS. When I first started with SAS, I was like, I don't understand what all this crap means. Like if I got to like I got to keep running this compiler, but then I could figure it out. Oh, I could actually like watch the directory and have it like automatically compile. Yep. But I didn't like question and be like, where's the bits? Like, where's the zeros and ones for the, the compiler is like once you I think I think like I, I have the same thing you're saying, Mike, is like I have the same anxiety. But Webpack, that's why it's so anticipated, at least for me, this episode is so anticipated is because to me, it was always this big mystery. And I'm always like super worried about it. And then I'm always the one thing I'm always worried about, too. And maybe this is an IT thing or what have you. But it's it the the thought is. I don't know how this thing works. So if it breaks, how do I fix it? And I, I don't actually. Yes. Like maybe I do a configuration change, but that's a configuration change. I don't fix Webpack like they do. Yep. You, you won't have that issue. Like that's just that's just not going to happen. Period. So uh, yeah, you don't have to worry about it. Just worry on focusing on actually solving the problems. Don't worry about the tools you're used to to, to solve them. Essentially. Um, but yeah, with that, I think let's move on to segment number two, which is Webpack versus Snowpack, where we'll talk about the couple of different bundlers. There's also another bundler I'll, I'll throw in here, but I'll, I'll save that till the end. Uh, so when Webpack first came out, the main reason to use it was to allow those import statements in the comp your components or JavaScript files. So essentially an import statement is just you literally write import, uh, then you put a name, like a variable name that you want the import to go into, and then you put a from and then you put like a path or a name of the bundle or the, of the package you want to import. And that's it. And that what that allows you to do uh, is actually import functionality from a library into a variable and use that in your JavaScript application without having to import the entire file or without having to worry about where you put that file or without having to like um, put like, you know, literally copy paste the functionality from it, make it put it into your into your code and then like uh, put a script tag in your code as well to make sure that it links to that to that code and then you know have you're jumping back and forth and you don't know the names of everything so it, it allowed for very much uh, modular organization of code and it also allowed for using certain function only certain functionality from libraries so for instance you don't have to import an entire library in Lodash for like Lodash is just a really common JavaScript library that allows you to do like little things like uh, everything to uppercase or, you know, camel case, a, a string or something like that. It's a really simple library. But instead of, you know, importing the entire Lodash framework or entire Lodash library, you can actually import just the camel case function from Lodash using an import statement. And what, what happens is when Webpack sees that you're only importing a function during the compiling and bundling process, it will then put that function 
and only the code for that function inside your application, that one file that we were just talking about, that JavaScript file that is created. And that's all that's going to be put in there. So you're good to go. You're not, you're not putting in, in a massive, you know, library essentially for just one piece of functionality of it. So that's kind of what Webpack or what bundling was big with at, at, at the beginning. Um, and so being able to import functionality allowed for much cleaner code and more efficient code, uh, because again, you can import one single function. So what changed? What changed recently that made a reason for something like Snowpack to exist? ESM module support came to browsers, which is JavaScript's native module system. And what that means is that import statement that I was just talking about is now readable directly by the browser. So the browser understands what you're talking about when you say import name this or from and then the the path and it can do that part of the bundling process for you so now you're no longer relying on your bundler to create a massive file a massive javascript file that can take out functionality and put it in there so what does this mean uh with snowpack now when you're compiling or when you're doing a save of a file uh you don't have to, you no longer have to rebuild the entire project. You're only rebuilding that one single file using the ESM module support. You're only rebuilding the one file. Your, your compiled files now are no longer just JavaScript, one JavaScript, one CSS, one HTML file. Now you've got like a library folder. You've got a more traditional setup with your compiled files because your the browser itself, uh, if it has ES6 support, can now read and import their files for you. You don't all have, you don't have to worry about it. And what that allows is in native code splitting support. So as soon as you write an import statement, you're splitting code. If you write an import statement in a component, you're splitting that component. So when someone accesses that component, that's the only time they're going to see that import because it's now in a separate file. If that makes sense. So. What it allows us to do as well, and what I think, in my opinion, the biggest positive is for me, is that the dev server can now rebuild instantly. Like we're talking milliseconds. Uh, where before, every time you save, again, go, to go back to how Webpack does it, it literally compiles the entire application and all the libraries that you've imported across the entire application, all the files, into one single JavaScript file and one single HTML, one single SS, CSS file every time you hit save. That's how a dev server works for Webpack. With something like Snowpack, which is relying more on the uh, ES module support, it's using a new system called Hot Module Replacement or hot module reload, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and when you're, it's only compiling the, the file that you're working in and only compiling the changes that you've made. So instead of, again, compiling the entire project every time, it's only compiling the one file. And what that means is that no matter how big your project is, your reload time or your dev server uh, compile time is going to be consistent across your entire build process. So even if you have you know, 200, 300 dependencies, two, 300 different imports, uh, you're not going to have any slowdowns because the, the imports that are in that file are the only ones that are going to need to be recompiled every time you hit save. And personally, I've used I've now used Snowpack for a little while, and I've used something called Vite, which is a Vue.js version of the same kind of technology. So Vite is, again, another bundler uh, like Snowpack, and it uses the same kind of technology, but it's designed and, and maintained by Vue, the Vue team. So Evan, you and the Vue team. So it works really well with Vue. So I've used both Snowpack and Vite just to compare the two. They're both very, very similar, uh, but I just wanted to try try them both. And honestly, it's night and day. So before, if I saved my uh, project with a Webpack, with my Vue 2.0 project with Webpack, uh, depending on the project size, it could take anywhere between like three seconds to about six to seven to eight seconds for it to completely reload and reload the dev server. So that's a, like, you know, that's not a lot of time, but that's a significant amount of time for every save. Now with Vite and Snowpack, it's anywhere between 50 milliseconds to about 300 in, in that range. I haven't seen anything above 300. And the way it does it is again, that hot module reloading. Now, having said that, the initial load, so the initial time you write like npm run dev or npm run start, whatever your npm run uh, server command is, uh, like for the dev server, that still takes a little bit of time because it's, again, compiling all your app, all your bundles that one time. But every time after that, while you're actually developing, it's like, 
I, I wrote here 10 to 20 times faster. I'm pretty sure that's underselling it. Like it is instantaneous. So I changed like a Tailwind uh, class from one color to another and it's like immediately present on the page. It's, it's the same as when you were like, if you were ever using a, de a hot reload dev server with just like a JavaScript, HTML and CSS file because it's such a small amount of stuff, no dependencies, it's like instant. Um, it's back to that kind of programming. So you kind of get all the benefits of using very native coding languages like all the you know you know going back to core um with the benefit of being able to use any framework that you want any any uh, library that you want and stuff like that and when it compiles and i'm not sure exactly how it does this but when it compiles it actually does compile to much smaller code um, i think it is because it's uh, it's able to import and use the es module uh, support in the browser instead of having to compile all that into one file it's able to split it out into different uh, files and kind of minify all those files together and therefore allows for a kind of a better compression algorithm i'm pretty sure that's how it works but don't quote me on that or if you do know how to how how it is let me know how it works um, but essentially, the main difference, again, I'm just going to reiterate between Webpack and Snowpack, is that ES module support and the ability of Snowpack to only have to recompile the file that you're working on instead of all the files and all the libraries that you're dependent on, which is what Webpack would do every time you would save. This is uh, this is fascinating. I've actually been like sitting here reading. I read through like kind of faster than you were talking too. Um, and like, I'm not just saying this cause it's like our own show, but like, this is actually a really good insight because like, to be blunt, I was like, I had a lot of the anxiety as I've already said with trying to use one of these things. And this is like a, like, to me, this is like a really good in technical English, if that makes sense. Cause you got to know tech stuff to understand a lot of this, but, um, a really good breakdown. Now I do have one question though, having sort of read through this and listened to you here, when when do I bring Webpack, Snowpack on board? Um, for those that are learning vanilla, you know, they don't need it. But what if you're learning vanilla and then you just switch to, say, from CSS to SAS or something? What would you say? Like, what do you do? What is your... Uh... Like, I never want to have to write a Webpack or a Snowpack file from scratch, like a configuration file. I, I would only personally use it if it comes with the technology that I'm working on with. So, for instance, w the reason that I delved deeper into Webpack is because I started using Vue. Vue uses Webpack to do all of its building, all of its bundling, and all, and all of its dev server stuff. So it already had it built in. It had the file already made. That's why I started using Webpack. For a vanilla person that wants to start looking at less and SAS and stuff like that, I can see it. Um, I, I believe that there is like a, a command line tool that will generate the Webpack configuration for you specifically for the technology that you want to use. Uh, but then you need to know a little bit more and it becomes a little bit too much of an overhead, right? Um, in my opinion, unless you're using a framework that requires a bundler, you should try to avoid it, especially now. And I say that because a lot of this stuff uh, can be replaced with just pure uh, ESM modules. So again, there's like if you were using just ESM module support, you can now use import statements directly in your JavaScript code without having a bundler. That's that's how it is now. That's just how it works, and that allows you to build basic websites without having to use any sort of. Uh, bundler if you want to use stuff like lesson sas i believe because you can just import it as an ESM, esm module so let me ask you this then so like you're a person that it. let's just say you're you you start out and you you're like okay you're done like you're done your vanilla learning and you you're you're at the point where you're going to learn view so you're done your vanilla html css js okay you're at, you're at a point you're comfortable you go to view and you say okay i'm going to build i don't know my portfolio website with view so like you're saying the view uses it to build. Now I've used Vue in the past to help you and you you set up the project and everything because you were doing all the whatever backend stuff and then I was building the the interface. And so like you showed me where to go for the interface and stuff like that and how to test it. And so I presume I was using Webpack then or is the question I suppose because you're saying that Vue has a native bundler as well. So this is where my question I guess comes we in. We were using Webpack. Uh, the native bundler called Vite uh, just came out with Vue 3.0. Oh, right. Because that would have been older. Right. Okay. Yeah, so you were definitely using Webpack, um, and Vue still Vue 3.0 still supports Webpack. 
that's its like kind of default state still with Webpack, which makes sense. Uh, it's the most common one. It has everything built in for some enterprise projects with some very specific uh, uh, plugins that you would use for Webpack. You would still want to go with that because not all Webpack pl- Web- Webpack plugins are supported on Snowpack or Vite. I would say most are. Most of the big ones are definitely supported already, so you're good to go there. But some very specific smaller ones that you would need for like a larger project or a um, an older project uh, are not supported by them. So you're still going to be using Webpack. So it's not like you know you shouldn't go and convince your team to switch to this new bundler right away. Uh, it should be a, a thought thought out process. But if you're starting a new project right now, especially if it's a side project, in my opinion, there's no reason to go with Webpack. Go with Snowpack, go with Vite, go with whatever works for your uh, project. Go with something that uses this new ESM module support with hot module reloading or, or um, because it's going to be way faster for you for compiling. And that's that's one of my biggest like issues with using a bundler because with regular JavaScript, CSS, uh, and uh, HTML files, there's no compiling needed. So there's no extra step every time you save a file. And uh, that saves a lot of time. It saves your computer resources, uh, which is a pain in the ass if you have a slower computer. But with this new way of bundling and with the new ESM modules, it's so much faster that it's honestly not even an issue anymore. Like it's so fast, it's instant, just the same as if you just had JavaScript, CSS, and HTML files. Now, uh, now I have a question here now too. Again, so okay, so what's the experience like? So now I'm kind of you know I'm starting to get into the groove of understanding what these things do and all that. What is the experience like? So and I'll bring this down to the consumer level. So you know if you want to use Twitter, okay, you open you know gen- in general you open your phone, unlock your phone, you click on the Twitter app. So you're saying that View has you know the potential that has its webpack files, it has the ability to work with Vite and all the, all this other stuff. What is the experience like to use Webpack? And the reason why I ask that is because, and I'll just like lay out a scenario. So let's say I download Vue and I'm learning Vue and it's great. It's all working. I get my whole website working, but there's a part of my website that I want to use RSS with. Totally making this up on the spot, RSS with. So I say, okay, I'm going to download with NPM this RSS, uh, you know, reading plugin. So I'm going to download this RSS plugin, whatever it is, bring that in. So now I have Vue.js and I have this RSS plugin. So First of all, I guess I have two questions. Number one is, do how do I know that? And maybe I'm misunderstanding now, so you can correct me. So it's like, if I go to build view, does it with, with Webpack, like, do I go to Webpack and say, I have these two plugins, please build them together. And then Webpack goes and looks and says, I have the, there's Webpack files here. I will do so and then do it. Or is everything on NPM, like Webpack slash Snowpack? Like, how does, how does that interaction work so it's like obviously you know we've established clearly now that it's bundling everything together so it's bundling your your in this case our view and our rss plugin but how do i do i go to webpack and say i have these two and then does webpack say yes i see two do you want me to put them together like how does the what's the experience so the experience is uh really easy so um when you're when you're creating a view application you use uh a, a tool called uh, view CLI, so command line interface. It's the same thing with React. You use the create React app interface, right? Um, when you create that application through the through the CLI, it will automatically create you uh, your Webpack configuration, everything that you need to run the application. So it's going to handle all the Webpack configuration stuff and all the NPM packages that are required to run View. Now you want to add this RSS plugin package. What you do is you just run the regular NPM install package name command right in your directory that, you, that you're working on with, it, that command will then automatically handle not only installing the package, but adding the de- dependencies and the development uh, and, and the package to your Webpack configuration file. And the Webpack configuration will handle all the importing and all that, all that stuff for you. You don't have to worry about that at all. The only thing you have to worry about is actually using that RSS plugin Uh, which you use the exact same way you would use in any other JavaScript file. You just, again, import it with an import statement, right? Mm -hmm. Into your whatever view, uh, whatever view JavaScript you have, like whatever, whichever script view tag you want to use the RSS plugin in. And that import statement is what tells the bundler to go and look for the dependency. So the import statement sees that you're importing, uh, you know, RSS from RSS reader, 
and it goes and it's like, oh, from RSS reader, I think I have that in my uh, in my webpack in my like package.json file, and that's what's generated. So I can see that package.json file. Bam, I have it there. Import that that whole library into this file. Done. Using it, you and don't then, have to worry about that whole connection. And then in this case, so like, okay, so you have your view and your RSS. So that part makes sense. But like, does view in this case because it has the webpack file? Uh, sounds like by default. Uh, when you install Vue, yes. is it does it automatically know to start? Like, do you run like a Webpack command, or are you specifically because you're saying like the Vue CLI? Like, are you using like do you yourself, the developer, do you yourself need to go? Oh, I have two things now. I need no. to use Webpack because it's already configured itself in the background. But do you need to know to do that, or is this something where like is? I guess my question also is, is, is Vue taking the lead here? So is it like always your front end sort of like UI framework, like whether it's React or God knows what, you know, is it is that the thing that's always taking uh, the lead here? Or do you know what I'm trying to say? Like, what if you downloaded that RSS thing first? Like, what if you started this app in, in vanilla? You just started this app in vanilla and then you say, oh, you know what? I actually need this RSS thing. So then you bring RSS in. And let's say that RSS plugin has a Webpack thing. And then later on, you're like, you know what? This, this, this UI... You know, it, it's getting, it, it's outgrowing vanilla or I don't want to use vanilla anymore. I want to use Vue. So you like, you know, you pull down Vue. Does Vue always take the lead in the webpack side of things or would the RSS plugin take lead? Like, how does that, you know what neither. I mean? You know what I'm trying to say? Like, how does it I, meld I, I together? Kind, I kind of get what you're trying to say, but I, I'm, my answer is neither takes the lead. They're both just packages in the webpack configuration. Webpack doesn't care what packages it has in it. All it knows is that if it's there, if it's in the package.json, if there's a dependency there, it needs to know it needs to import it into the into the compiled export files. That's it. No one takes the lead. There's no lead. Um, they can all, as long as they can talk to each other in in a sense of JavaScript, just regular JavaScript code, mm-hmm. you're good to go. No one takes the lead. Because I was now, I, I was picturing this to be like, okay, you have your project one. So you decide project one, and then there's a directory called and I'm just roughly doing this. There's a project or there's a there's a directory called view. And then there's, you know, there's a directory called view and it has all its stuff in there, including a webpack file. And then I was thinking that there was also like a, another sub, another directory, which is not a subdirectory. You know, it's a subdirectory of project one, right? So it's at the same level of view. And so you have like in project one, you have a view project or view directory. And then you also have an RSS directory and they both had webpack files. That's how I was thinking it. I think I'm, I think that's, that's a miscommunication. I think that, that that's not what's happening, right? That's not what's happening. Uh, you're actually describing what you would have to do if you didn't use webpack. So Webpack actually makes it so that you can put it all together. So there's like another, again, speaking at like sort of a a generalized high level, there's like a, like when you download Vue, there's like in that NPM download thing, uh, there's like a Webpack file that's coming in and like Vue is is just like configuring that. Vue is just a package that's inside the Webpack file. That's it. And so then when you go to your command, okay, like let's say you say, okay, let's just say you had your whole project ready for whatever reason. You had your whole project ready. You you install your stuff, whatever. And let's just say it's done. Someone just gave you all the content. So this, they just built the website for you. It was like, here you go, bud. So you go to go build it. Do you type in like, and they may have answered this, but now I may have forgotten in all this. Do you go to the command line and type in like webpack, you know, please, obviously not this way, but <laughs> webpack, please install or please bundle this. Or do you just say, you know, your regular build and it does the CLI know like, hey, I got to use webpack today and then do it. So in, inside a Webpack, it's a good question. Inside a Webpack, there is a configuration part of it that says uh, build commands. It's, good, it's just called build. It's a, JSON, mm-hmm. it's a JSON property. In there, you can write different build commands. Now, again, not something you need to know. It's something that comes pre-packaged, pre-done with, with, with frameworks like Vue. But inside there, it'll actually tell you what commands you can run, like npm run build, npm run dev. Those are two different commands that the Webpack configuration is saying you can run for Vue. And each command does a few different things, like build packages it for production, dev creates a a dev server and builds the application so that the dev server can see it and then also enables your hot reloading, right? All that in one command. That's all you need to know. You just need to know that there's a couple of different commands that's there for you. Usually it's in the documentation of whatever framework you're using. How do you run the web, the dev server? How do you run the, uh, the build command? They're not even going to mention Webpack because this is just what you do from the CLI and that's it. Okay. All right. Fascinating. 
You don't have to run two separate commands because you have more than one package. It knows everything. It does it all in one go. And you don't need to know what what it's doing, when it's doing it, or whatever. You just need to know that if you're running Vue, you just run npm run. Uh, now, I'm, I'm getting confused now. Give me one second to make sure that I'm saying the exact right. It's npm run serve for Vue, which will create the dev server. And then npm run build will create the, the distribution packages. Actually do the compiling. That's it. Okay. Those are the only two things you need to know. Okay. And it and it handles like you don't even like you realistically wouldn't don't even need to know it's webpack. Like you just need to no, learn you those don't commands. Need to know it's webpack. Yep. At all. Fascinating. Okay. I think yep. th- well, uh, no it is. This is this is where I'm getting hung up on some stuff um cuz you you're saying before with all the view routers and all the rest of this stuff when I started looking at view it was just sort of like you know, like I said, I'm doing a lot of business admin stuff. And it was just sort of like, this is, to me, this is a waste of time. And, like, I don't mean that to say, like, doing stuff with Webpack and stuff is a waste of time for, in general, for other people. Like, if you're a developer, obviously we need you. But, like, for me, it would be a waste of time because it's like, okay, I'm just going to build this website in Webflow because I am in a hurry. You know what I mean? Just for my, that's, like, where I was at. Um, but it was also the anxiety where it was like, what do I do? And then if it was something that needed to be fully custom, I would just call our contractor. Obviously, like that's what I mean by we like viewing that is not a waste of time is what I'm trying to say. But what it what it is, is it's like for someone like me who I understand the vanilla stuff, but I'm rusty and I'm doing a lot of business admin stuff. That anxiety makes it a waste of time. You know what I'm trying to say? Where that I think this is where why people go to no code tools. And there's going to be a bunch of other reasons why as well. Um and so why people go to no code tools, because a lot of this stuff seems like a huge mountain when it's not, if that if that makes sense. Um, it's not, and, yeah. and so like, you know, I just like to, to me, it was like, oh, I go to our contractor because our contractor understands how all this works. Now, I don't know if he does, but he might not. He might just use it. And I'm just thinking like, oh, he knows everything. And like, I'm just delegating tasks because I'm in a hurry because I'm like running around like crazy running a small business. And so. I'm just assuming everybody knows all this stuff when they probably don't. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say? Um, that way. So that's probably the truest statement you've said ever. You're you're assuming that everyone knows this stuff when they probably don't. It's not probably they just don't. Right, and I'm, so I'm I'm like I'm delegating to specialists, thinking that they know everything, when in reality they do not. Yep, they're just they're just not getting hung up on that anxiety. And a lot of people get hung up on that part of being like, where do I start? But really, if you just like power through that and started the project and just built out a page in view, like just built like, you know, used your knowledge of HTML, CSS and JavaScript, and then some of your like uh, skills of just Googling and just built out one page in view, you'd be like, oh, and, that'd that, be and, and that's the hurdle. That's why when yeah. I look at it, because I'm, I'm kind of like the, the, the traditional or because I drink a lot of coffee. So like I'm, I, I'm like the traditional really crazy uh sort of serial serialized entrepreneur type of like personality like the um and we've seen a bunch of times where it's like usually usually like a serial entrepreneur not always of course but usually the the stereotypical serial entrepreneur is like really quick and like just goes goes go 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 because we're so busy i have to act like that stereotype i just go 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 and when i see something that either really induces anxiety or is going to take a long time to learn i think waste of time i gotta do something else that i know and i just rush out Right. It's, and it's not because it's a waste of time in general. It's because it's a waste of time in the moment. And I think that a lot of people like other people are getting caught up in that, especially if they're trying to start web development as a side hustle to their main job, which maybe not isn't development. They might get they might get here and be like, this stuff is just too hard. This stuff is just too crazy. But they're not taking like you're saying that big hurdle where they're jumping over that hurdle of just build one time. And maybe, you know, if you want to use no code tools, go for it. I do it. and I'm still going to do it. But I but that hurdle needs to be addressed. It can't be this big, like Webpack to me was a mystery till today. Like, I'm, and I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not screwing around when I say that. It was a, it was like an absolute mystery to me. It was like, when someone mentioned Webpack, I was like, I don't know. I don't, don't look at me. <laughs> like, don't look at me, man. Like I use, I use Webflow. <laughs> like like it, it, it literally came down to that amount of being like, nope, not going to touch that when it isn't that big of a thing. Like. I don't need to always hand it off to a specialist. I can always just try it myself. And like, I feel as though, depending on time, of course, but like it's, it is that anxiety thing. So I hope, I hope 
sincerely, this helps some people. I hope someone's like me. <laughs> I hope no one's no people aren't out there being like, this guy is freaking weird. Because like to me, like I know tech, I know like how to build websites. I can do some PHP and stuff like that here and there. And like I know servers and like I'm not like I'm not just a no code person, but I was I've been like going into no code for time purposes and I could have been doing a little bit more learning and been able to contribute to other view things, I guess, or whatever. You know what I mean? Um, not that I have time to do that, but you know what I'm trying to say? Like, uh, to me, I always thought it was like, that's the no man's land of like, I'm not going to go there because my technical skill can't reach there, but it, it could, it can. And like, I don't need to become an expert in 50,000 or whatever, not 50,000. How many dependencies? 4,307 dependents of NPM that I'm looking at here. Exactly. So I, I think like for you, it's, like again, the no code or whatever Webflow or Web or um, WordPress are still very much important, and like you know, for for certain projects are very much better to use absolutely than Vue. But having anxiety be your barrier rather than functionality is the problem. I think that should be the focus. Like you know, make sure that anxiety is not your stopping point. Like make sure that anxiety is not stopping you from trying the new technology. Because you can absolutely handle it, you can absolutely learn it. Like, like I said, if you fire, if your goal is fire up view and build out one page, one page of view on your own, I guarantee you, at the end of that process, and that process will probably take you like a few hours. At the end of that process, you're gonna be like, oh, and now that, that will be it. You'll be like, okay, now I know what view is. Because literally, after I created the hello world application of view, edited it a little bit, and um, added like a component or something like that i was like all right there's nothing to really be scared of <laughs> like it's you know it, it's using the technology that i already know in ways that make a lot of sense for reactive framework like for reactive framework purposes and, and then you start connecting like a bunch of dodge you're like oh wait i can do this with it and i can do this with it uh, but initially when i when you're first looking at it when you're first looking at the create app application and stuff like that it does that that stuff doesn't like connect and that that is where the anxiety comes from and you're not you're definitely not the only one to 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 have that i've talked to many people in that exact uh place where they're just like scared to use these new tools because they're afraid that they're not going to learn them or they're not, they're not going to know them and they're not gonna be able to talk about them and not gonna be able to do it so they go back to using the older tools or to the tools that they do know or the no code tools just for that reason when there's plenty of good reasons to use those no code tools anxiety should not be one of them that's a perfect sum up if I'm being honest, I think that's good. That's that's uh, I mean, at least to me, if if, if to no one else, you've educated me, <laughs> you've educated and helped me. Uh, maybe I'll like play with one of these things on on Twitch stream or something one time when I have some time to to just sort of like mess around with stuff. And I mean, I'll be a noob at it, but I mean, let's maybe I can maybe I can give it a, give it a try. See how it goes. Um, mess around with a view or a, a react. I've always been like, for some reason, I'm like weirdly fascinated with react JS. I don't know why that is like I've always just been like, ooh, what's that thing? Um, just like, just curious. And then I can try Webpack and panic and you'll see me, you'll see me in my learning process where I get really mad all the time. And, Don't try uh, Webpack. Just use it. Don't try Webpack. I yeah, want to get go. that across see? to people. I want to get Damn. that across to people. Don't try Webpack. Don't be like, my goal for today is to build a Webpack file. Hell no. Don't do that. <laughs> that see, that's what, and that's what I was trying to do is like, is like, I remember I was working on a project with somebody and, and it was using Gatsby and they're like, use Gatsby. And I was like, what? And like I figured out how to build or whatever with it, but then this is months years ago, and I then was like, "What the hell am I doing?" So then I went into Gatsby, like, and I mean into Gatsby, like I was trying to read it, and I was like, "What the hell is all this?" And I you literally like know. I was like, "I don't know what the hell is going on here," and I just started like panicking, like full panic, and I was like, "I don't know what is going on." Like the biggest um, wave of imposter syndrome I've ever felt, and I I think that's what turned me off. Is I was like, I literally have no idea what's going on here. This is not good. And I just backed the like back the f off. That was it. Yeah. And yeah, you got you got to I think you got to conquer that. That should be one of your goals or one of your weekly goals later on obviously. Yeah, once when the hat site's done yeah. um with no code tools. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that that's for good reason though. We're just trying to get this damn thing out. Um yeah. but yeah. Um yeah, I really good episode Mike. I really appreciated it. I uh, hope it helps somebody. Uh, it certainly helped me. Uh, but time for our weekly goal goals. Um, I'll give Mike a break from talking, I guess, and I'll just talk about mine really quick. Uh, my old one 
was to get a each week is going to be to get a functional site, functional part of the hat website up and running this week was or this past week was supposed to be the podcast part. And I tweeted about this yesterday or today. I don't know. Tweeted about it um, recently. And I overshot my goal. So I forgot there was a custom media player in there. And I've already talked about this in the before the show. So I'll be brief. Um, go listen to that over on our Patreon, patreon.com slash HTML, all the things. But, and it's free. Don't worry about that. But um, I honestly thought that I could just rip out the page and I was like, oh, it's just gonna be like a blog page. I'll have like, you know, rich text and blah, blah, blah. And I'll embed it. Forgot there was a whole custom media player in there. So this week I delved into uh, just learning the HTML, um, whatever you call it, media API, audio API, video, whatever it is, whatever you want to call it. Uh, like, like I said, I'm new to it. But pretty easy. Uh, got it up and running. Use that uh, Mozilla Documentation Center. Uh, Use their demo. Uh, put that into Webflow. And then I just sort of like ripped it to shreds and I'm still ripping it to shreds. Um, learning it as I go, of course. Got it working. Made sure it worked on Webflow. That was the big thing. And then now I'm just like completely changing. It's not even going to be close to what the Mozilla people had it at. Um by the time I'm finished with it, but I'm learning and going as I want. But I have a play pause button. Those actually work. Um, I have a fast forward button that actually works, a reverse button that actually works, a stop button, which I deprecated, but does actually work or did because I took it away. Uh, And then I have a timeline that actually fills up as the episode goes. And then I also have like a a readout number where it says like zero, 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 when you know, when you're done or when you're starting. And then as it goes, it counts up the seconds and the minutes. So I have that working as well. And clicking on that part, this is what I meant by visual only on my tweet, uh, clicking on that part on the timeline doesn't do anything. So um, click like if you click halfway through, it won't go halfway through the episode. So that's going to be my next thing that I have to build out myself. Uh, Because that's not in the demo that I found unless it's broken. But like, again, learning. So I'm going to my weekly growth goal this week is to actually try to like finish this media player. Reason why I say that is because I want to make it what they call a symbol in Webflow. And that's like a repeatable thing that you can like put in. So like a nav bar is a symbol. I can quickly dump that into any page and it just like dumps the whole thing in. So I want to make that a symbol and then see if I can make it so that on any sort of media page, you can just quickly drop a link in. And it'll dynamically with the CMS just pull it in and like have my media player. So I want to make this really cool media player. Now, I will say weekly growth goals are always flexible. But this one, I may, if it takes too much time, I'm just going to, I'm just going to make a basic one and move the heck on just to try to get this site up. But I'm really excited with my progress so far. And I'm excited to be back in the old JS train, basically. So that's, that's my piece. Yeah. What about you, Mike? Uh, so for for me, I uh, my my last weekly growth goal was to complete some of the APIs or, or get the APIs going on the back end of my weekly growth goals application, and um, I did create those APIs. So I did create all the APIs that I needed to do that I needed to create for the initial infrastructure of the weekly growth goals application uh, on the Strapi side. The only thing I didn't do that I kind of wanted to do. Part of this weekly growth goal was actually link up the front end to the back end. Uh, but I did generate the JSON and stuff like that. So I know how the JSON is going to look. So now all I have to do is actually, you know, pull in the JSON from the back end to the front end and uh, build out some, cu- like render out the, the the custom pages, the custom, the repeatable zones and stuff like that to be actually repeatable based on the JSON. So that's not going to take me too, too long. Um, the authentication actually is another thing that I'll, I'll, I'll be working on in the future. Uh, because Strapi actually has all that built in. They have OAuth and OAuth 2 built into the authentication system, uh, all accessible through APIs. So I, I'll be implementing Google uh, OAuth op- authentication for signing in and registering and also uh, GitHub. So those are the two that I'm going to be supporting off the get-go, but I'll probably add some more if we need to as we go. Um, but I think those two will cover like most of the audience out there. Um, for developers especially and then I'll, I'll obviously still allow people to register with just you know basic username email and uh, and password so people don't have to tie their accounts to our website um, but yeah I figured out how that all works so that should be one of the next things that I do but this week on my weekly growth goal I'm actually going to skip go away from going back to the application because I kind of want to alternate here and there and I want what I want to do is get back to exercising more often so my weekly growth goal is simple do some sort of exercise every day this week. There you go. Personal goal. First, first one, first one out of all of them, I think. 
I think so. I, well, I don't know. Reading, I guess the reading one was kind of personal as well. But I guess it was about business, I think. I don't remember now. Yeah, it, it was a business book. So you're right. You're right. Yeah, so was it was true. like business-y, but yeah. Like, yeah. well, I mean, it, it's, it's a good time to show it. Like, all these goals don't have to be web development-based or business-based. They could be literally beat a game. Doesn't matter. Like, yes. beat a video game. They could be whatever. Doesn't matter. Uh, put, put LEDs on your chair. I don't know. <laughs> Anything. So, uh, first personal, strictly a personal goal. Good stuff. Uh, looks like we both completed-ish our, both of our goals. Um, that's the point, though. Uh, and I want to make this clear. I made this clear in the before the show. These weekly growth goals are about getting you to push forward on whatever it is, whether you actually complete it, partially complete it, or have to, in my case, change it and then complete it. Um, I would not have even started it if it weren't for setting a weekly growth goal and having the accountability of being here. And hopefully soon, once Mike has that app up and running, you guys will obviously have a little bit of, well, you, I mean, you can talk about it on the Discord, of course, but you'll there'll be like an app specifically for accountability and stuff like that with these weekly growth goals. So I'm really excited. Just get out there and do it. Even if you don't finish it, if you finish 50%, that's 50% far, further than you were before and keep pushing through. Who cares? These are wishy, wishy-washy yet accountable goals that are, that are. I think, what was my quote in the before the show, Mike? Less serious than work, more serious than play. There we go. Um, I like that. There you go. So that that's the weekly growth goal motto now, I suppose. And I hope you guys really uh, enjoyed the show. Unless Mike has anything else to add. No, I think that's it. Um, so remember, web news is separate now. So the web news this week is going to be time isn't on sale. So tune into that hopefully tomorrow. Just keep it locked to our feed uh, or subscribe to it if you haven't already. And remember, we're on Patreon. If you want to support us, that's patreon.com slash HTML, all the things. Check out those tiers. Give that a go. Many thanks to our $3 tier patron, Sean from RabbitWorks JavaScript on youtube.com slash RabbitWorks JavaScript. Garrick from Local Path Computing and Web Design on localpathcomputing.com. Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital on blueblackdigital.com. Chris from Selfmade Web Designer on selfmadewebdesigner.com. Tim from The Web Hacker on thewebhacker.com. DL Ford from dlford.io, Bib Hashdash from Nine Block Media on NineBlockMedia.com, and Jason from Greek from God, I did it last week too. Jason from Geek Life Radio via GeekLifeRadio.com. Feel free to leave a comment or a review on the platform you're listening to this on. And this outro will sign us off. You've been listening to HTML All the Things Podcast web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things. Signing off.